Why are so many people open to hearing the gospel and others aren't? I wrestle with that every week. I, I constantly study it, and it's throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament has opened my Bible. I'm constantly reminded of the need of evangelism and sharing my faith and thinking about others around me. And you can't get away from that in the book of Acts, definitely not. And you can't get away from it in the Gospels, as we read through the Gospel of Luke. It's just a constant reminder that we need to be taking the, the message that has saved us, the Gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ with us. But I, I wonder about that, because how many are there? About 1.2 million, maybe more, adherents, faithful believers in the churches of Christ just out through the United States. Um, but I wonder about how many uh, people in each congregation are actually doing that and sharing the truth. I think about this all the time. I can't get away from it. Uh, today I was talking to Rachel about it, and I just went through the book of Acts, and I was talking with her, and I was, I was thinking of what are things that, that the churches did, it, that the churches of Christ did, that we see in the book of Acts throughout there, um, as far as like events. So, and we might not really put them that way, but in times past, churches have emphasized programs and these big gatherings and conferences and things like that. And I made a list of different things that I saw them doing as far as evangelism. And as I went through it, I was like, are we doing that? Not really. And that? No. This? Uh, there's very few that was on the list. I was thinking about great gatherings of Christians getting together to uh, discuss important subjects like you see about in Acts 15 where you get leaders in the community together to do that from various churches. And, uh, you know, that might not quite fit our setting here in Thomasville, but I don't really hear about that happening in big cities where there are a lot of churches. I don't see that. I look at people meeting in their homes and studying from house to house. Where is that? Where are those kind of gospel meetings? Where are these meetings that you, you see like when Cornelius got his whole family together to, to hear the gospel that we read about in Acts chapter 10? What happened to that? What happened to Christians going into other Bible studies uh, and uh, you know, like in the setting that we see in the example of them going and Paul going to the synagogues? Where's that? What's going on today with the church? And I hope that we think more about this and, and find that, you know, I ability or gift in this area, and there's something I can definitely do, and I see it here in the book of Acts, so let's do it. Anyways, it's been brought some, to my attention today, and I've been thinking a lot about it and praying about it, and I'm thinking about it now in the context of what I've been reading, because what I was reading today and I was looking at, I wanted to, to preach and hit on something that I hadn't talked about before. So if you have your Bible, go with me over to Acts chapter 11. Verses 19 to 26. Now you might say, well, isn't this about evangelism? You talked about that before. Okay, generically as a topic, there's hard for you to find something I haven't been able to touch on uh, over the, the three years I've been here. But we are, I do want to look at this. Uh, so go to Acts 11. We're going to start in verses 19 through, through 26. So as I'm thinking about these things, I'm thinking about uh, you know, Jesus' parable of the sower, and I'm thinking about the different grounds and the soil that is around us and what we can do to increase. Uh, Acts 11 is, is what stood out to me. As I was going through our readings from Acts 6 through 12, there's a lot to read there for this week. But every bit of it, I know that we've hit on uh, multiple times, at least the, the main subjects that we read about, uh, the main events that happened there with Stephen's life to Paul's conversion, which is Acts 9, 
um, to Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10, um, to the discourse about that and the bringing of the Gentiles in Acts chapter 11, and then to Peter being released to prison after the death of, of James, um, the disciple and apostle of Christ there in Acts 12. So we looked at these in detail, but I want to pay attention right now to, to the beginning of the church at Antioch. Such an important church, too. A church at Antioch, which would have been north of Jerusalem, a few hundred miles up in the area of Syria, there on the coast. Uh, that's where Paul and Barnabas launched out for the first missionary journey, and Paul launched out for the second one, Barnabas too, but they went their different ways on the second one, and then on the third missionary journey as well. And so this church was growing, and it was big, and, and it was vibrant, and all these Gentiles were converting. And I look at this, and you know, the book of Acts is just telling us, look at the hand of God, look at the hand of the Lord in evangelism. And we need that. We need the hand of the Lord. That's what we need as the church. We need God's hand, His providence, and His grace. And those are things that are going to stand out here. Let's begin reading Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. This is what we read. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, uh, that arose over Stephen they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking to word the word to no one except Jews. So first, all the, the words going all these different places is going to the Jews. And it would go to them first. They're the ones looking for the Messiah. They're the ones that have the, the Jewish Bible. They know the prophecies. And it makes sense that they would be going out and say, Have you heard the Christ has come? The one we've been looking for. Keep reading here. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, as we looked at other places, the Hellenists would include among those who are proselytes and maybe on the margins of the, of the Jewish community in that area. But they're hearing the truth and the, and the gospel is spreading. And listen to this, look at this statement here in verse 21. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. What does that mean? We're going to see that in the next verse. The, the most common word that's used in the Bible for God's providence is His grace. When we look at all this evangelism, everything's taking place in the book of Acts. We're seeing God at work. You hear the hand of the Lord. We know God is spirit. He doesn't have a literal hand. What does it mean? He's at work. He has a part in this. And when God's hand is at work, great things happen. So verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They believed, and they turned to the Lord. They turned to God, and they turned to Christ. Verse 22, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. I would imagine it would. I would love to hear about that. You know, hear of a multitude of people uh, converted. I love to go to those missionary meetings. And recently we got an, an email from one of our universities talking about uh, the emphasis that has been going on in uh, the, the churches, among the churches of Christ and our colleges on discipleship and making sure that we have mature Christians who are reading their Bible and spreading the truth and that we want, dis we want to make disciples who make disciples. I'm going to come back to that too because that's true. If you're a following disciple of Christ, we want to make disciples that don't just say, okay, well, I'm going to listen to Christ, I'm going to read His Word, and I'm going to sit in the pew, but I'm not going to make other disciples. Now that, that's not what we see in the Bible. Everybody who came to faith in Christ and who was baptized became a follower of Christ, they became a disciple who made disciples. They had some part in it. 
whether you're in some way acting in the congregation and teaching, or if you're following up with people who are missing from the congregation, those who are sick and in need, if you're just helping your neighbor and praying with them, those are huge things, and everybody was participating in this. Anyways, the report comes to Jerusalem, and so when they hear about this, they think, this church is going to need a minister. So they send Barnabas, the encourager. That's what we read. Look at verse 22. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he saw the hand of God, that is, he saw God's grace and His providence. And it says he was glad. And that's the right response too. When you hear about people being baptized and you hear a whole family being baptized or you hear multiple people being baptized, we should rejoice at that and be happy by it, encouraged by it. I hope that we, we are. But when's the last time we've heard of those reports? Sometimes I hear again of missionary fields. I hear of you know, uh, individuals and even families and even more than that being baptized. And I keep reading here and it says, and he exhorted them. So Barnabas goes down there and what is he doing as a minister? He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. That's the idea here. And he's exhorting them and encouraging them to do what? What do you need this minister to go, to go do in Antioch? He is to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And when you do that, it brings about great unity. It's a great desire there. And verse 24 goes on and talks about Barnabas. Every time we read about him, there are lots of beautiful words about him complimenting who he is and what he does. Verse 24 says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And you see that description throughout the book of Acts when a man is described and great works are done through him. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And a great many people were added to the Lord. So not only did you have the initial believers come to the faith and turn to the Lord, then Barnabas goes down there and works with them and even more. He joined this church. Verse 25, So Barnabas went to Tarsus. Notice this again about Barnabas. He's doing the work. And these good things are happening, but this church is growing fast. And he needs help. And the first person who comes to mind and he brings into it is he brings Saul over with him. Saul of Tarsus, the one who had been persecuted and his life was threatened in Jerusalem so that the, the disciples there sent him away. And so he went to Tarsus. He went there for his own safety. And here again we see many people converted. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Followers of Christ. Well, for them to be called Christians, these disciples, first of all, a disciple meaning a follower, a student of Christ. Many of them are being taught. They're steadfast. They are remaining faithful. They are being encouraged. And they're being identified as those who follow after the Messiah and the Christ. You think about what's going on here. I want to see that work again. And I think, I think you know, a lot of churches, they, they want to minister. And then a lot of ministers want an associate minister with them. And because even when Christ was evangelizing and sending out his apostles, he sent them out by two. And you see here Barnabas and Paul working together. And it's going to increase... When you, you get to Acts chapter 13, you see there's five ministers now in Antioch. The church had grown. They needed five men to be there teaching and encouraging them and exhorting them. The work is increasing. Here's some observations that I've taken from what we just read. 
The faithful carry the word wherever they go and everywhere they go, and they share the faith with anybody, no, no matter their language or ethnicity. If they can communicate with them, they're going to preach the truth. We see this, that when there are large numbers of people who are coming to the Lord, it is by His hand and by His grace. And we see that throughout the Bible and throughout the book of Acts. Another thing that stands out here is that churches who see this happening know that they should be supporting it. And they support it by sending other ministers. So the church in Jerusalem did that. We see that the preaching was done by a minister and the description of him is that he's faithful, he's a good man, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he encourages believers to, to do the same thing, to be faithful to the Lord. And we also see this, that faithful ministers um, seek to train others. They want to train others. And that brings us right back to the Great Commission. So when Jesus gave that Great Commission, when he rose from the dead and he sent out his disciples, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you. Well, then he says, Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So think about that. And what's happening there? That's a perpetual mission where disciples are, are made when they're baptized and then they're taught. And they're taught to observe everything that Jesus commanded. And Jesus commanded that we go and make disciples. It is perpetual. Think about this passage here. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. You may be very familiar with the scripture. Paul says, So then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. To faithful people, literally what the Greek means there. It's not restricted to gender. To faithful men, to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So you got from the ministry of Christ, from his resurrection, to Paul's very final letter and his writing to Timothy, that the goal is to make disciples, is to bring people to Christ, or to go along with what we read from Jude this morning, to snatch them from fire. And then, not only is it to baptize them, but it's to continue to teach them so that they get to the point where they can teach others. Probably everybody in here can relate and say at one time, you know, I was baptized, but I felt overwhelmed by the idea of sharing my faith with somebody else or teaching in a Bible class or standing up in front of others and communicating because we feel like I just don't, I don't know enough. I hear that all the time. And you see that a, part of the, a main part of the responsibility and this job that is given to us and to the church and to the leadership of the church is that we are to make disciples who make disciples. I think another thing that stands out to here is how fundamental this message is to everything. This message of salvation is the basis of the church, is the basis of our unity, it's the whole purpose of what we are about. And here the Messiah has come. And he died and he's buried and he rose again. And we're not to keep that to ourselves. The Christian faith is a teaching faith. I think some don't like that idea. They're like, I'm going to become a Christian, but I don't want to learn anymore. And I certainly don't want to teach anybody else. And I don't want to go sit in church and listen to someone read the Bible or to teach me. It's just boring. And I think that's, that seems an absurd thought to me to call it boring. That means you're just not taking interest in it. That's what it means when you're bored by it. The Christian faith is a teaching faith. 
And it's a learning faith. I think about, um, about the kind of employees that employers want. They want people who are what? Teachable, right? Well, and what kind of players do you want? They want the kind that never listen to them and never learn anything. No, they want the kind that are coachable, where they can train them and they can adapt. And we want that in our churches. We want to see this amazing work in the book of Acts come alive again. We want to see it before our own eyes. So I hope to encourage us tonight to think about that. What am I doing? What is my role? Am I growing in the way in which I should go to where I can teach that I can lead others to Christ? The Christian faith is also a constant reminder, and I see this throughout the book of Acts, throughout the Gospels. It's a constant reminder that truth exists, that there is one right and wrong, and there is one way. It's a constant reminder that there's a foundational understanding that the beginning of all things that came into existence is because the Creator made us, and He created us, and He made us in His likeness, and we have meaning and purpose and value. And not only that, when we look at this course of the world and people rebelling against God, we know the world needs a Savior. And I cannot escape the thought that most people in the world would agree with that. The state in which we look at the world and the disaster and the, the things that go on, that the world needs a Savior. And just admitting that should just be obvious. But who is that? It's Christ. I think about those things because I think about in a way of which I can share my faith, the faith with others. Um, I think about those open doors that are around us all the time. Right now, my kids are starting to play ball. And so I know I'm going to be able to sit around and talk to some of the other parents. Um, and I think about that. That's a great opportunity. This is a, a chance to talk to them about certain things. But how do you bring up conversations and things like that? I had one minister suggest, and I was listening to him recently, and he was saying, what you do is... Um, Whatever you're talking about, and maybe in regards to watching a baseball game, did you play ball growing up? And you talk about how you were raised or how, ask them about how they were raised. And there's a lot of conversations there that get to the core of who they are and how they grew up. And you can ask them, did you grow up going to church? And a lot of people don't feel very offended at all by that, that question. They'll talk about it. They'll discuss it. I hope that we think about it in that way. So that, and I think a lot of us, we talk to so many people, but our conversations never go to the spiritual, to what's going to encourage others to follow after Christ, to follow after God. I've heard other ministers ask a simple question, and you see this kind of in the book of Acts in a number of places. I think about Acts chapter 8, where Philip comes up on the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading scripture, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And so oftentimes to make an observation or to, to make a request of somebody, we see that, for instance, one uh, Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I hope that we're thinking about ways in which we can carry on those conversations, that we can make contact with others, that when we see someone who is baptized, that we can help them to develop and grow and encourage them and make sure that they don't drift away from the church. And then we need to be, again, concentrating on ourselves. Am I maturing? Am I growing? Am I a disciple who can make other disciples? And can I help others so that they can also do the same thing? I definitely want to pass that on to my children. I want my children to grow up and be able to make disciples because I want my grandchildren to be followers of Christ. I want my grand, great-grandchildren, and maybe I'm too early on this, but I'm already praying for them. I'm already, I pray for my kids all the time, and they hear me, but I'm already praying for my grandchildren. 
Uh, and I'm thinking about that all the, all the time. So when I think about the gospel message, and I think about the things that we read in the Bible, I think some people come to the Bible and they think, I want to read a book that tells me how to engage in the political environment and to be able to refute people and shut their mouths and tell them what's right and wrong and what the morals are in the Bible. And that's not what you get. There's some, there's some things in there. There's, there's a list of morals. Yeah, there's teachings on it. There's teachings that involve politics, how you, all these kinds of things. But for the most part, we're seeing who God is and who Christ is and the message that we're carrying to the world and the effect of that faith that has upon us and the difference it makes. We're getting right down to the very core of, the, of our meaning and purpose and the value of humanity when we study the Bible the way it is. And um, you know, I think about that because I think some people are bored because they, they think there should be other messages. There's got to be something else in here that I want to hear about. And God's telling you what you need to hear about. And I hope that you think about that tonight, the things that we've studied. Because you know, we, we can write out a whole list of things. You know, right now I'd rather be doing this or that. That's a sad thing to be thinking about. Especially in the context that, of the need to spread God's Word. And when we look around, just in our community, our neighborhood, in Thomasville, and Thomas County, and see that the Gospel is needed here. And here we are. Small group of believers. I think Jesus started with a small group. That task comes upon us. I encourage you this week, take the Word of God with you. Carry it wherever you go. Share the truth. Now let's think about more about this mission of making disciples who make disciples. If you need anything tonight, you need to put on Christ in baptism, you need prayers and encouragement, I encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.